I'm Brittany Hardin-Tangway, a manager with KPMG, and I am fascinated by the practice of transfer pricing and its impact on the global market. Join me each episode as I explore the transfer pricing world with specialists who will explain the ins and outs of this niche practice where tax meets economics. Well, we're back with another episode of Exploring Transfer Pricing, continuing on our industry series. And this time we're taking a shopping trip to check out some retailers. I have with me Diana Skodina, Managing Director with KPMG US, based out of Short Hills, New Jersey, with extensive experience working with consumer and retail clients. Welcome, Diana. Hi, Brittany. And also Nick Stavrakis, a managing director based out of New York, who recently rejoined us at KPMG after working as a senior director at a large global interactive fitness retailer. Happy to have you back with us, Nick. Thanks, Brittany. Happy to be here. We're going to define the retail industry. Before we start talking about transfer pricing in this industry, we need to understand what it is and what it is not. The retail industry is characterized by the companies that have a large footprint in the retail sector. So they operate brick and mortars or online stores and sell either directly to consumers most of the time. In general, the companies have a large U.S. presence. And this industry is distinct from a consumer market goods industry that mostly caters to wholesalers. We're not talking about products per se. The retail industry obviously deals with products, but what we're going to talk about today is how you sell to consumers. And that's going to be through stores or online or direct to consumer. So it's the act of actually getting products to customers, not necessarily developing products. And Brittany, in some cases, they are selling their own products. In other cases, they are selling other manufacturers' products. But in either case, these are retailers selling directly to consumers. That's the value, getting goods to hands, whether it's their own or others. You have a variety of products. You need to get them to consumers. There's a lot of ways to get there. So, Nick, take us on a journey and help us understand the trends in this industry. The first trend we want to talk about is the evolving sales mix that every retailer has faced recently. So, traditionally, retailers had stores in the U.S. and in local jurisdictions and pretty much had a buy-sell model to buy products and then resell locally. Now, almost every retailer still has these brick and mortar stores, but also has a large e-commerce presence where they're selling directly to consumers. A third sales channel mix would be the omni-channel, which kind of blends the line between the brick and mortar and the e-commerce. And then finally, most recently, some retailers have even moved into a subscription model. So there's been really a strong evolution of the sales mix for traditional retailers. Consumers really want to be able to buy anything, anywhere, anytime. And if you want to be competitive, you need to be able to accommodate to those demands. With respect to the pandemic, this forced retailers to be creative. They had to develop new technologies, assess their existing supply chains and fulfillment models, and really be able to meet the demand of consumers in a new way outside of the traditional brick and mortar concept. For a long time, you used to go to the store and then they developed their online sales presence where now it seems like there are a lot of online retailers that now will get pop-up shops or now they'll have a permanent location in a big city that people will go to. Yeah, we're even moving to an experience-based model, which is really driven by the omni-channel. This buy anything, anywhere, anytime, whether you are making the purchase through the online site and picking up in store whether you are going to the store and then ordering online, whether you're using an application, we have this blended mix to get to consumers. 
And from a transfer-pricing perspective, whenever you start to change the way that value is being provided, things can get a little tricky. What are the transfer-pricing implications from all of this development? The fundamental question is whether your existing transfer pricing structure, the economic relationships amongst your global legal entities, your intercompany flows, both physical and title, and the functional profiles of your legal entities is the same in each of these different models. You could think with the omni-channel and e-commerce that retail companies are creating new intangibles. And the question is, who is investing in these new technologies and how are they being exploited throughout the organization? Has the role of the traditional retailer changed at all with these different models? If consumers are able to purchase products directly from a centralized website, have the functions and risk of the local entity changed? On the other hand, you might make an argument that the local retailers adapting to this new experience-based model are performing more complex functions than they were previously. Another question is, where are the sales booked in each of these sales channels? If you think about the historical model, that was an easy thing to identify. It was sold in the store in the local jurisdiction. But that's not the case when you're talking about omnichannel. Those sales may be booked centrally or they may be booked locally. With respect to supply chain and fulfillment models, oftentimes these are different based on the sales mix. And finally, is the profit potential different across these sales channels? Presumably, the e-commerce sales would yield higher profits with lower cost, but that's not always the case in these different models. So that's something to think about with your transfer pricing. There's something to be said for the psychology of selling. If you're in store adding one more thing to the basket and you're like, well, I'm here, I purchase it now, I may not get another chance. Whereas if you're shopping online, it can sit in your basket for as long as you want. You can contemplate the purchase. And I'm sure different types of retailers see different trends. Yeah, certainly. But regardless of which direction the company is evolving in, they have to ask these questions around their transfer pricing structure. And fundamentally, it's whether the value chain has evolved with respect to new intangibles that are being developed. It's really important to reassess. It's not to suggest that the current transfer pricing structures are wrong, but it's simply to make sure that you are assessing this evolution. The biggest question is, should the transfer pricing be the same for all of the intercompany transactions associated with these varying sales channels? Or do you have a potential or an opportunity or a risk around your transfer pricing in these different models? All of these things really should be reassessed comprehensively to understand what a retailer looks like today versus what a retailer looked like 10 years ago. We survived 2020. The layperson became more familiar with supply chain challenges and management as a result of not being able to receive goods from their favorite retailers as quickly as they had gotten used to. Then the companies are still in this supply chain journey, still trying to figure out what that optimal solution looks like. What we see in the retail industry is that the companies are rethinking their supply chain operations, whether it is the use of technology, additional people relocating back to U.S. or outside of the U.S., aligning more closer to the supplier base, but those are the trends within the companies. There's also industry trends, right? COVID highlighted how important the supply chain and the lead time and cost really were. Even post-COVID, it's still a challenge in many industries and retail is not exclusive to that. From a TP point of view, the most important question, 
is supply chain the new value driver or an additional or more important value driver than others? Getting products to consumer is the key. And should there be additional compensation, a different compensation or additional transfer pricing considerations associated with these operations? How should it be reimbursed? The companies are still in this journey thinking through this. Companies invest a lot into technology and that jump up during COVID and now the AI technology, different softwares, different programs that assist with the supply of goods is a big investment for companies. Who should bear that cost? Should it be the parent company? Should it be spread, et cetera? And other items that are important for retailers is looking at your agreements, making sure that this function is properly reimbursed, whether it's cost or value-based compensation, and also talking to your trade and customs colleagues and thinking about the actual pricing and how should that be structured and how does that interact with the supply chain cost and expenses of operating the company. I'm glad you brought up supply chain as being a maybe newly realized value driver. We take for granted the fact that it just works. You don't realize how valuable it really is. And we have been conditioned to timeliness and product flows around the world to work as expected. And I'm glad you brought up AI, artificial intelligence and data. We're being tracked online and you get advertised for the same product over and over. So data has got to be hugely important. Certainly data has been a pretty hot topic for a little while now. If you ask most retailers, they would probably argue that data is a value-driving asset for their organization. In the retail context, this is probably even more important as this data is used for targeting customers, targeted advertising, the use of data for operational improvement and efficiencies around supply chain and other operations, making decisions around product mix and go-to-market efforts. As retailers continue to invest in these data assets and develop new ways to harness this data across their organizations, What's the impact to your transfer pricing models? There's a number of things that one needs to think about in this context. If you think about the data value stack within an organization, which goes from acquiring data, cleaning that data, enhancing the data, managing and storing, and then eventually distributing and exploiting that data, there's a lot that goes into that mix. Thinking about how data is acquired in the retail context, that's typically collected at the retail locations, through the websites, through the mobile apps, and other channels. And how are those data asset investments structured within the global organization? Who's making these investments? What technologies, as Diana mentioned, are being developed around the collection and exploitation of data? And who owns that? The other thing is, how do you identify the value of these data assets and functions and risks through this data value stack? If you think about the first-party data at retailers that's acquired at the stores, That has a significantly different value than data that is enhanced and aggregated with other data that is then used to target customers. And so thinking about the value of data across this value stack is very important. Fundamental question there is who owns those assets and does that ownership change as you move along the data value stack across the global organization? It may be collected across the globe, potentially centralized, potentially not. But who owns those assets across this entire spectrum? It's just really interesting. We talk about customer lists as being like an intangible asset. But if your subsidiary retailer is collecting that list and would probably ultimately benefit if the customer purchases from them, 
the refinement of understanding how to best reach out to that person is done centrally. You wouldn't have their data if you didn't collect it from the subsidiary retailer. But if the centralized organization didn't take that information and enhance it in a way that made it even more valuable, measuring and separating, that's what's super challenging. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach for every company because based on your data organization and your goals with respect to data, that can be very different. We've been talking about the data as an asset itself, but there's also significant functions and risks that are essential to the business. Who's setting the data strategies overall? Is that the parent company? Is it on a regional basis? Who's performing the key functions and controls around data? One thing to bring up is obviously data security. We've seen some substantial impacts to companies who are not able to protect their data. So who's setting the strategy around data protection and who is ultimately taking the risk if things go wrong? Companies really need to think about data and where it fits in as part of their core value drivers. Does it have an impact on your existing value chain, the economic relationships, your transfer pricing model and intercompany transactions? Retailers have experienced a lot of changing trends. People buy when they've got some extra cash. People save when they don't. There's quite a bit of fluctuation when it comes to looking at the industry as a whole. And that's got to impact benchmarking, right? So on the benchmarking retailers returned, the industry took a wild ride with COVID being super negative. And then post-COVID, the result really showed up. And this is particularly difficult for North America because North America comparables are limited. There's a limited number of public retailers. So this creates a challenge when the industry swings one way or the other. So during COVID, we obviously had a lot of retailers in trouble making operating losses, and we saw a very low return on their activities. Versus post-COVID, there were a number of bankruptcies, a number of companies exited the business, and a number of companies actually doing super well. From the results perspective, it's a very high now for 2022 and forward. So this creates challenges for companies that are not in this upswing trend, and what comparables can they rely on to support their results? We have this question from our clients where they say, I was always a 2%, 1.5%, a 2.5% retailer, and now I'm below the range. I see. So the challenge that these particular retailers are facing now in trying to benchmark their results for routine activities has to do with the fact that only the strongest have survived. Due to the limited available information, the comparable companies that are being used to establish an arm's length range are notably stronger than what we would expect historically. How should we think about addressing this? The practical solutions would be to look at the longer term period, maybe not three years, maybe five years, both US regs and OECD guidelines allow for that, for that longer business cycle to be considered. Thinking about your transfer pricing in a little bit different light and maybe considering APAs within U.S. and other countries to lock that lower return because what we find is that the APA teams around the world are more receptive to understanding the business and moving with the business versus when the company comes under audit. I like that you brought up certainty, especially when there's been so much fluctuation So what are things we should be thinking about when it comes to the retail industry and transfer pricing for the future? 
So with respect to the trends that we've talked about, there's fundamental things from a transfer pricing perspective that we really want to look at. All of these lead to the value chains of retailers changed, whether it's through the sales mix, whether it's through supply chain, through technology, who is performing the strategic direction around those, where are the DEMPI functions happening around those, and what is the global profile of the legal entities. All of this needs to be looked at together in the context of the themes that we talked about. And that helps you decide whether your transfer pricing structure is still correct, whether it needs to be evolved in any way. It's beautiful. Love it. Anything else you guys want to say before we wrap this up? And Brittany, as we mentioned in the beginning, retail industry is quite dynamic. It's not a static industry. Looking at your intercompany transactions, at your agreements, thinking through your supply chain issues and trends, these are all things that kind of need to be done on an ongoing basis. It's not an industry and it's not the companies where you can set your strategy and put it to the folder and keep it in your desk. This is something that the transfer pricing and tax directors need to think about on an ongoing basis. If you think about retailers, they are dependent upon repeat business. You need to think about your transfer pricing in the same way. You got to continue shopping. You got to keep checking it out. (laughs) Well, Diana, Nick, this was a pleasure. I really appreciate you guys sharing your knowledge and experience and insights with me. Thank you, Brittany. Great to be here. Thanks, Brittany. Thanks for joining me on this adventure in transfer pricing. See you next time. And special thanks to Seth Salinger from the Minneapolis office with KPMG US who helped make this episode possible.